All right. It's good to see you guys tonight. I appreciate you uh, getting here in the rain. Um, so thank you. With you know rain and road construction around San Antonio, it was probably an adventure for some of y'all to get here. So thank you. Um, we're going to continue in our series, My Favorite Summer, by looking at some of our favorite uh, Bible passages. Oh, there we go. Um, so uh, tonight we're going to be in Romans chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles handy or whether it's, uh, you know, hard copy or electronic copy, go ahead and flip there. It's uh, kind of a perfect follow-up to Genesis 3. Genesis 3 was the fall. We looked at, you know, kind of why the world is so messed up that we live in and it can all be traced back to the fall. But we also talked about why we're so messed up and do things that we don't want to do even though we're believers in Christ. So uh, that goes back to the fall. So, so Romans 7 is a, is a great follow-up, just a little... Um, context for you guys. So Paul has been uh, sort of just honestly making his path of laying out the gospel uh, in the book of Romans. And as he uh, approaches chapter 7, some things he talks about is how before we came to faith in Christ, we were slaves to sin. But once we became uh, believers in Jesus, then we were no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. He even makes this pretty, uh, I don't know, uh, Shocking is probably too strong, but he makes the statement that so when sin increases, grace increases. Which then leads him to ask the question, so what then? Should we continue in our sin so that grace might increase? And what's the answer that he provides to that question? May it never be. Yeah, no. By no means may it never be. And then as he transitions into chapter 7 we're going to pick up in verse 7 but uh, in that transition the first few verses of chapter 7 he tells us that we're no longer bound to the law that we've been freed from the law but we are now bound to Jesus in fact that's in verse 4 he says verse 4 therefore my brethren you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ that you might be joined to another to him who was raised from the dead just as Ross said earlier that we might bear fruit for God. And so as we uh, get into verse 7, the, the question he's going to start with is, so is the law sin? So before we get there, let's uh, have another uh, just time of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time to get into your word. Lord, we want to lift up those Alamos and family members who were not able to make it tonight, my wife being one of them. Uh, she's on the roads coming back from Houston. So we just pray for safety for those that are not here. God, as we get into your word tonight, <clears throat> Father, I just pray that we would come with open hearts, that we would hear your word and receive it. Um, and that, Lord, if our hearts need to be broken over our sin, that your spirit would do that for us tonight. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Romans 7, verse 7, we'll jump right in. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was, no, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. 
So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. So Paul is making the statement, I'll just kind of summarize those very quickly because I really want to start in verse 15 and spend our time 15 on, that no, the law is not sin. In fact, it's only because of the law that I'm aware of my sin. In fact, he says uh, it's kind of because of the law that this sinful desire is produced in me. I'll share a quick story. So, you know, we have four foster kids and, and uh, we bought a, a pool at Walmart, not like a little kiddie pool that you can easily like kind of you know, flip over, but it's like eight feet across and about two and a half feet deep. And so it takes a long time like an hour of the hose running full blast to get this pool filled up. And so I learned uh, a lesson like, don't let the kids outside when I'm filling the pool up, right? Because it takes forever. And what are they doing when I'm filling the pool up? Can we get in now? Can we get in now? Can we get in now? Can I hold the hose? Can I get the water? Like they just are like, it's just nonstop. So last Sunday, I sat down with all four kids, you know. I'm like, I love, I said, all right, guys, listen up. I'm going to get the pool started. Do not go outside. In fact, I'm closing the back door. So we got a back door and then a screen door on the back of the house. Do not even go to the back door. I will let you know when the pool's ready. We'll have our bathing suits on, and we will go out and play at the appropriate time. But do not even go to the, If you go to the back door, you are going to be in trouble. I laid out the law for them. So I go outside, turn on the hose, get the pool out, and got the water going. And I hear this little jingle sound from the back door. And I'm thinking, there's no way. And I turn, and I look. And there's little Bella. She has opened the big door, and she's got her hand on the handle for this, the screen door. And she's looking, and she sees me turning and look, and she, you know what she does? Like she runs away. You see, I laid down the law. I explained the law to her and to her siblings. Do not even go to the back door, because if you do, you will be in trouble. It's not good for you to go to the back door. But you know what that did to her? Like it created this sort of intense desire. I, I'm going to go to the back. Like I want to go. She can't help herself. She's got to go to the back door. Even though she knows she's going to be in trouble, it's not good for her. You see, the law does that. It produces the desire to break the law because we're sinful by nature. So Paul wants to be clear. The, the law is not sin. It is actually holy and righteous and good. So I want to pick up in verse 15. This is truly like 15 on is my favorite part of chapter 7. I just want to give some context before we get there. And you guys might know this, but actually 15 on is fairly controversial. Like theologians debate, like who is Paul talking about here? Is he talking about the non-Christian? 
Is he talking about new Christians who still struggle with their old lives? Or is he talking about all Christians? So there's some debate, and you know, you listen to or read different commentaries and sermons, you will see different answers to that. That's not why it's one of my favorite passages, though. Because to me, there's no debating who this passage describes, and I'll share with you who I believe it describes. In fact, that is why it's my favorite passage, because it describes me so accurately. This passage describes the man I see when I look in the mirror. I can so identify with this text as much as anything else in Scripture. That's why it's my favorite passage. So let's go. Verse 15. I just want you to hear the anguish in Paul's voice. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law confessing that it is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. What honesty! Paul is describing the battle of the two natures. You see, we talked last week, we are descendants of Adam and Eve. We're born with a sinful nature. However, if you are in faith in Christ, and I hope that you are, you have been indwelled with the Holy Spirit. So you want to do what is right. I want to do what is right. We want to obey God. We want to please him. And yet there's this sin that indwells you and me. And there is a war that is raging inside of us. We do the very thing that we hate. I, what I love about this is that Paul recognizes this is an internal battle. He does wrong, and he doesn't blame it on anyone else. He sees that what, he, what comes out of him, his actions, his thoughts, his words, come from what is inside of him, this battle that rages inside of him. This is the biggest problem the biggest struggle that you and i have as believers it's not your boss it's not your spouse it's not your mom it's not the fact that your dad walked out on you when you were a kid it's not the democrats or republicans or any branch of government it is none of those things it's not the lack of money in fact you've racked up more credit card debt than you'll ever repay none of that is your biggest problem your biggest problem is right here it is a battle that takes place inside of you and that's why we do things that we do not wish we would do why we think thoughts why we say things why we take action and i love that paul absolutely owns it because think of the last time you heard someone apologize maybe last time you apologized or I, like did you did that person absolutely own with no excuse what they did or did it sound something more like this? You know, I'm really sorry, Marcus, that I yelled and even cursed at you, man. 
but you made me so mad when you. Right? I'm apologizing, but you know what? I'm not really owning it. I'm blaming Marcus for making me mad. And here's the thing. We get that. We do that. That's our habit. We want to blame things outside of us. Again, because of what we read last week, because Adam and Eve did the exact same thing, and we descend from them in the flesh. Who did Adam blame? Eve and God. The woman that you gave me. I didn't ask for her. And who did Eve blame? The serpent. The serpent deceived me. You know, like, and if you see, like, even celebrities who have to, who say something or tweet something really ridiculous, if they have the, you know, the, at least enough humility to apologize, have you ever noticed, like, how so many public apologies sound like this? I apologize if you were offended. So if no one was offended, then there's no need to apologize, right? Right? So the blame is not on the person who committed the sin. It's on anyone who might have been offended by the sin. This church is the greatest battle that we will ever face. But here's the honest truth. This is not a battle that every Christian faces. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian anyway. You see, this is the battle that is only faced by Christians who take their holiness seriously, who are truly committed to following Christ, who truly love the Word of God and want to please Him. If, if that is not your battle, if you have no idea what Paul's talking about, if you cannot relate to him at all, then there might be a few reasons. One, primarily, is that I believe you're probably taking grace for granted. Right? The, the fact that your sin is an offense to a holy, righteous God who loves you enough to send his son to die on the cross, to be buried and raised back to life, just doesn't mean that much to you. Or maybe it's that in your own mind, you've decided what is sin and what is not. I know God's word says that it's sinful for me to fill in the blank. But you know what? I've decided that it's okay. And so this battle does not occur inside of you over that. But trust me, church, this battle is real in the lives of those who love God and seek to please him. Paul continues the explanation, and again, just the, the heartache over his sin is evident. Verse 20, but if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Do you hear his torment? 
wretched man that I am. Not only do you hear it, the question is really, do you feel it? Does your sin lead you to this tragic conclusion? I am a wretched, sinful man. Does your sin break your heart? Does it bring you to the point of realizing just how broken a person you are? Wretched man I am, who will free me from the body of this death? I think it was John MacArthur I was reading. He said that in ancient times, if a man was convicted of murder, it was a common practice that he would actually carry the dead body on his back and walk through town. You have that visual, right, of just carrying this death around with you. And so he asked the question, who will set me free from this, this agony, this torment? And it's implied because I can't do it myself. I cannot save me from this. I cannot save me for eternity, and I can't even save me from my current sin. No amount of self-will, no self-effort will save us. We saw it last week again with Adam and Eve. They sin, and what do they do? They're going to fix their problem. They're going to go fix fig leaves to take care of their, to cover their sin. But it was no good. Self-will, like self-determination that I'm going to conquer this on my own. Do you know what it leads to? It's just a vicious cycle. It leads to this wretched man that I am. Why do I keep doing the very thing that I hate? I want to please God with my heart, but I keep doing these things that just drive him and me nuts. Self-will leads to frustration, anguish, torment, pain, and misery. I cannot do this on my own, for I am a sinful, wretched man. So if I cannot save me, who can set me free from the body of this death? And this is the best part. Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Remember, Paul didn't write chapters. He continues, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. That is the good news, church. Paul has nailed it. I cannot save myself. I, in my own power in the flesh, cannot prevent myself from doing these things that I hate and despise but continue to find myself doing. But there is someone who can give me that power, and that is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. You see, here's the beauty of the Gospels. We don't have to remain in that anguish and that torment over our sin. We have been forgiven of it. And the Holy Spirit can set us free, not just for eternity, but can free us from the sin we struggle with today. 
Not that we will ever be sinless, but we will continue to grow in sanctification and sin less. That is why I love this chapter, even though it bleeds into chapter 8. There's, there's not a more raw truth, not a more honest confession of the believer's struggle than what we see in Romans 7. It is the battle of the two natures. But we already have the victory in Jesus Christ. So we're going to observe communion in just a minute. So, <clears throat> I talked earlier. Like, if you, if you cannot relate to this struggle, if your sin does not break your heart like this, then this is the perfect time to come before God, to confess it, and to ask God to break your heart over your sin. Because here's what happens sometimes. I, I said, you know, like, we take grace for granted, but here's the other thing that happens sometimes. Like, we just continue, as Paul says, like, why do I keep doing this thing that I hate? So eventually, we just kind of convince ourselves, well, you know what? I guess, like, I'm just stuck with it. I'm just going to carry it around like the dead man on my back. But Jesus Christ can set you free from that. But your heart has to be broken first. Because if your heart's not broken of your sin, you're not going to let go. So as you come forward and take the elements and go back to your seat, we'll like, do like we typically do. You'll just have some time, just you and the Lord. You take this to him. And listen, church, we're not going to judge you. If you're in a position where, where you're stuck in sin, but this is not where you are, maybe you want to keep carrying that death around with you. Then, then I'm going to ask you respectfully not to come up and observe the Lord's table. Okay? So, um, come on up. Again, opportunity to just to spend time with the Lord, confess this, get the dead body off of your back, and then uh, we'll observe together. So I'll, I'll give us instruction on taking the elements. You can come on up. All right, church. The Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for just the honesty that Paul reveals in the Scriptures. Lord, your word tells us that we're all sinners, and if any of us deny that, that we are liars and make Jesus out to be a liar. So God, I pray that our sin would, would break our hearts to the point that we would come with our pain and our agony to you so that we could experience the freedom that comes with grace and forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that when we stumble and fall, we would continually come back to you we thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice of your son. You've called us to walk in newness of life. And so we thank you for that gift and for that calling. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.